You're listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, February 21st. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We are joined, as usual, by Pete Sampson from The Athletic. And, guys, we, uh, we had an opportunity last week. We are getting opportunities to talk to players and coaches like we uh, we never did with, with Brian Kelly. And we had the opportunity to meet all the new assistants and actually spoke with uh, with all 10, including the returnees and head coach Marcus Freeman. Guys, just starting with you, Tim, if you could just maybe pop to a coach or two and, and talk about what, what impressed you and what stuck out from those interviews. Yeah, I enjoyed. I really enjoyed talking to Al Washington. Um, I wrote about it today in Monday Musings. He's I, I can't imagine that guy not being in a room or being in a room and, and the family not enjoying him. He's, he's genuine. Uh, he, he's also all football. You know, he could be all football, but he's genuine. He, I think he gets, gets what Notre Dame needs in him right away. You know, not, not a lot of guys will have that. It's fun. He's uh, and I, I think he's ready to settle in a little bit because bouncing around as a linebacker coach at three different spots. I think he's back where he wants to be a defensive line coach. And uh, he's also, was able to dish out and take some good natured ribbing about Boston college, pointing out that they never lost to Notre Dame and different era and those things. So Al was, I think my favorite or coach watch was one of my favorites to talk to. I didn't spend enough time with Chancey Stuckey. Who's going to be everybody else's favorite. Cause Priester, you have him as your, uh, yeah. as the person you're interviewing. Um, but he just seems like, I mean, like deer in the woods, freshly kind person, like just happy to be there. And uh, it's, I, I could kind of just tell from the other side of the room that uh, Chancey Stuckey will also uh, will also excel when meeting families and recruits. I think that's he's a genuine guy. Yeah, Stuckey is. I, I spent most of my time with Stuckey and um, Dylan McCullough. Stuckey was. It's, it's pretty rare. Like coaches are kind of weird people um, by nature, and for normal people like us, I don't think we encounter a whole lot of coaches that like, if you just met this person, if this person was like a parent of one of the kids in your kids' classes, you very rarely would be like, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd be friends with them. If this is my neighbor, like Chancey Stuckey is like that level of normal. Um, so it's like abnormally normal. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, I think his backstory is compelling. Uh, I've written a little bit about it. Other You guys have written about it. Um, you know, coming from, the Dabo Sweeney tree of coaching is a positive. Um, Dylan McCullough reminds me of a slightly younger Tony Alford, um, which is kind of what Notre Dame has needed at that position. Uh, I think that he will be dynamic as a recruiter. I asked, I asked him, like, you know, what do you love about recruiting? Because you can't, you can't just do it and like it because that's not good enough. Um, you know, and he talked about, you know, the relationships and I mean, the way he described relating to his players felt like I was talking to Tony Alford again um, about, you know, you're not, these are not relationships that you keep for three years or four years or five years. It's 15 years, it's 25 years. Um, and that, that was really a compelling part of it for him. So super confident guy. Um you know, I think Lance Taylor was a really confident guy too. Alford obviously is a really confident guy, but um, yeah, I, I think that McCullough will be just the, ne- the next really good running backs coach, but probably uh, an, certainly an upgrade. I think in recruiting, I think that comes through in his run his confidence. What what struck me about the entire group, if I could if I could uh, kind of categorize them all together, uh, it's that I there was a purposeful decision in the way these these guys were hired and who was hired from the standpoint of, I think of being a mentor, a mentor first, 
being being a true uh, the the adult in the room that leads the room and the people that he that that they coach that he coaches. I, I just thought that that stood out as as I hop from table to table. The guy that and I, I was there with some of the questions you asked Pete about with Stucky and. I mean, there's no doubt that he is a, he's a, he's a beacon. I mean, he's a, he's a bright light and he's a, you know, he's a faith first guy, I think without hitting you over the head with it, uh, which, you know, a lot of times offends people. I don't think that he comes off that way at all. He's just a, he's just a very charismatic guy. And Tommy Reese said when he spoke, when he was at the podium uh, earlier said that, uh, you know, I think you guys will understand what I'm talking about after you talk to Stucky and, and he yeah. was absolutely correct. But the guy that the guy that for me stood out the most was Al Golden. And I, and I've I've always respected Al Golden's career. I know he struggled at Miami. Uh, the reality is that this profession is not filled with only people that have success all the time. There's going to be an up and down uh, with some coaches, and and he's experienced a little bit of of failure too. But he also was the linebackers coach on the Super Bowl finalists with the Bengals, and he just. He just strikes me as a, a, a real mentor for uh, for Marcus Freeman, first and foremost, the head coaching experience. And I interviewed Jack Swarbert the other day, and I talked to him about, um, you know, Golden and, and because they had met previously and they actually first met uh, at the Sun Bowl. If you recall, L. Golden was about ready to take over Miami when Notre Dame played uh, when Brian Kelly's uh, early Notre Dame team played Miami. And so that was when Swarbrick first met him and they stayed in contact through the years. So uh, I, I really like him. I, I think golden is a very much a Notre Dame fit. Yeah, Pete. They met the year before when Swarbrick interviewed him for that coaching job. Right, right, right. I, I'm sorry. Okay. They visited at, you're right. They visited at length uh, at the Sun Bowl, but yes, when they were, when they were looking for a head coach to replace Charlie Weiss, L golden was contacted at, at that point. That's true. But I, I just, I really, I really like him. I think he is going to provide excellent leadership maturity uh, for the Notre Dame defense. I agree with McCullough on you, Pete, in terms of, uh, well, I mean, just confidence. I, again, it's another one of those interviews that when you read the written word, it's like, wow, are people going to think this guy is overly cocky? Because he knows he's a good running, back, running backs coach. And he said in order to uh, validate himself to the players, he had some of his former running backs call him or send a message or actually FaceTime him while they were meeting together. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, usually assistant coaches win the day in these kind of situations. And I, yeah. and I realize that I've been, you know, I've been, been, been through like dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of coaches. Uh, so I've seen a little bit of, of everything of that. Brian Kelly. Now I, I really like the staff, but Brian Kelly's first staff won the day too. And there were some gems and some not so gems as we went along that we, the yeah. three of us actually walked out when I did not work with you guys. And we talked about, Hey, those are some really good guys I'd like to get a beer with them. <laughs> so let's, you know, I, we do, we do have to pull back a little bit. We got to see him coach, but I enjoyed, I, I did enjoy the whole process. Um, Harry, he stand. I thought it was great when Harry saw me, Tim, Pete, Eric Hansen, it was like it was old home week for I mean, Harry. Holy was crap! Happy. He was excited to it see us. Nice, yeah. It was it was a nice reaction. I think he was. You could just tell he was he was glad to see some old faces. I think, um, and I I, I he stand offered the R word five times when I spoke with him. Recruiting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was hammered home, obviously, in his 
either in his media prep or in his interview with Marcus Freeman or both. So it was. Oh, I think there there is a 100% certainty that he knew people thought he hated to recruit and wasn't very good at it. <laughs> and he made a good point. He's he's like, he's like, oh, I mean, he's like recruiting's good. But I mean, you know, no one likes sitting on a tarmac for an hour in Newark, right? right? They don't. I mean, that's, he was honest about it too. It's some people are weird about how much they like it and other people's like it. Other people like hey. to account all the power and uh, excuse me, all the talent they can acquire. That's how I would feel about recruiting. I, want I think that it guy. is weird. The job is easier. Right? I think there is a, a degree of weirdness with the way some guys love it. Really? Heck yeah. Oh yeah. Is that yeah. you talk? Yeah, yeah. We we talk about you know when oh, you think great. about recruiting, it's landing the recruit. It's not sitting on the tarmac for an hour or yes. delays with a rental car or whatever. You know what are the million things that can go wrong there was, in the recruiting process? There was a few of us left over talking to Washington. And uh, it was really funny because the rest of the coaches, including Marcus Freeman, were waiting for him. Freeman came back in because they were riding back to the goo together. <laughs> First of all, you could hear Freeman like, and that dude could talk because <laughs> he was just talking to all of us forever. And then at some point, Freeman actually said, you have defensive line recruits to call. <laughs> like, in other words, yeah. stop talking to these guys. Really? So, you know, it is yep. just it is the new lifeblood of everything that happens wow. there is. No, you have to be. And Fre- I thought Freeman in his – I mean, it had to be during that. He did, only did one address to us on that last Wednesday when he said, you don't always want to make those calls. Sometimes it's inconvenient. You absolutely have to make those calls. I think that is just the message. That is the new message. It probably should have been the old message. It should be the message everywhere, but it's obviously not. And that's the new part of it. Yeah, because you can imagine. I mean, oh. just imagine how uncomfortable some of those calls are when you're dealing with a 16, 17 year old, 17 year old kid. I mean, you can imagine that some of those conversations are, are difficult and very forced and she's, uh, I got to go into another one of these. I understand that, but I do think in general, it is kind of weird <laughs> the way some of them absolutely embrace it, but it is like you say, it is the lifeblood of what you do. And so you don't, you don't have much choice. Um, I, I, before we, I, I, before we uh, go to segment two, we do have uh basketball i don't know that we i don't think we actually have a do we have a basketball question i don't think we we do they they lost over the weekend to wake forest in a in a tough assignment that they almost pulled out but i also did conducted the interview with jack jack swarbrick uh the second of three parts uh hit the airwaves here this morning uh just i nil was the main topic on day one we jumped around to a couple different topics today we'll do the same thing in tomorrow's third story but just some of your thoughts on Swarbrick and NIL and his comments uh, regarding uh, what's happening moving forward, because it's, it's, I mean, you know, NIL is great for the players and no, we're not trying to deny that, but it's a detriment to what they're trying to do with intercollegiate athletics and it's getting worse. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think he was somewhat prophetic and, you know, this is, this is going to be pretty messy. Um, I don't, I, I think that you have to be prepared to get in the mess um, if you're Notre Dame. Like, this is not a – I feel like I, I, NIL is kind of Wild West and, like, anything goes. And, like – but that – like, Notre Dame can do NIL stuff. Um, and I, I'm i not sure if um, – I'm not sure really sure what Sorbrick can, can actually say about – you know, how involved Notre Dame is going to be in setting up NIL stuff. Like it's certainly the collectives that are happening at Tennessee and other programs are really complicated. Um, But this is, I mean, this is unfortunately what the leadership of college athletics has 
allowed to happen. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's messy. Um, it's not bad for everybody. You know, it's not bad for, you know, Texas A&M, whatever they're doing down there is fine for them. Um, so I, I don't really know where this goes, but I, I completely agree with this, you know, from a Notre Dame point of view, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. And, and frankly, it may, it may stay worse for quite a while. Yeah. I, I think it'll, I think it'll stay worse indefinitely. Um, two things can be true. College athlete, college athletes have deserved some type of compensation since and before Ed O'Bannon and Chris Weber wondered why their jerseys were selling in their bookstores and they couldn't buy them with the money they had. It's always been the case that some athletes deserve compensation for their name, image, and likeness. And it has always been the case that it was going to be an absolute cesspool as soon as it opened up the possibility. Two things are true. If you're the modern fan that says, of course, they need to get paid. Brian Kelly can leave for $10 million. You're right. There's also repercussions for every action, right? Yeah, they, they, sh- they shouldn't get paid like a top assistant at Ohio State. You know, like, I mean, it's if Brady Quinn would if Brady Quinn would bring that much money in, he deserves to get it. It's still a problem. Ed O'Bannon, yeah. Ed O'Bannon deserved whatever he was going to get and never got back then. He was his picture was on the video game. His likeness was on the video game. Yeah. Chris Weber's Fab Five jersey was selling like hotcakes back then. They deserve what they get. However, there's a repercussion. I, you can't. We just can't have it both ways. Like you, there's nothing absolute about this. It's not all great that they're getting paid and it's not all great now that, I mean, it's not all bad when they don't. Right. I mean, there was some regulation. I'm sorry. And the next step is, and I brought this up last year before it became a thing or two years ago, pretty soon when they're designated as employees, cause that's an important thing. Employees can be fired. Right. Which they can't, I mean, players get, Cut all the time in college they get athletics. Cut all the time at Notre Dame when they are one semester away from graduating, they stay at school on scholarship and get the degree. Yeah, I'm just saying at other places they get cut oh, all the time. Of course, yeah, yeah. no, no doubt, no doubt. The big, frankly, the bigger problem uh, problem for Notre Dame because Notre Dame's still appealing to you know kids coming out of high school is uh, to use the term that Jack Swarbrick used with me that acquisition fee that people are are, yeah. are paying with with potential transfers. And if you read today's story on Irish Illustrated. You know, the, there there are so many inherent problems in in getting those student athletes into school at Notre Dame because now it's not it's not an admissions issue of a, a of a high school person coming in. It's it's you know a transfer into the the College of Arts and Letters. It's a transfer into the Mendoza, Mendoza School of Business, the engineering. Those individual schools, quote, schools within the university make the determination on transfers. So now you have a situation where, as you guys know, I mean, if you want to transfer to Notre Dame, you can't be in the school of business. You can't transfer into that. And that that is going to be a significant problem with transfers. Jack Swarbrick, I, I said, are you concerned? Are you very concerned about this? And he said, yes, because the athletic department has to develop now relationships with the individual schools within the university and try to make them understand, look, we don't want you to do, we don't want you to admit somebody that can't fit here at Notre Dame, but we've got to expedite this, this process because people are bidding for these players. So, which seemed like to me, that seems incredibly easy to do. Um, for if you're the Dean of a school of Dean of arts and letters or, 
you know, maybe you change your policy with the Mendoza School of Business. But like, I I mean, he's dead on and Marcus Freeman feels the same way. It's like when Brandon Joseph is available and Brandon Joseph is interested, you cannot wait a week to give admittance to Brandon Joseph. It needs to be like in a couple of days. Um, so Notre Dame, yeah, the athletic department needs to figure out those relationships shouldn't be incredibly hard to build um, and say, look, we don't need you to like grease the wheel here and like get in somebody with a two point who has never taken a business class, but we got to have an answer quickly. Just like move that to the top of your pile. There are not quick answers as we sit here right now. That's just the reality of the situation right now. Back uh, segment two, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish illustrated insider podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards, Irish Illustrated Insider. First question from Denver Maximus. Marcus Freeman mentioned that L. Golden would be running his own defense and not necessarily the defense Freeman ran. I'm sure there will be many similarities, but from what you know about Golden, what do you think he will add or how will the defense be different from what we saw last year? Was this, to me, this was like the biggest surprise of the day that Marcus sort of like 180 might be too dramatic, but he definitely changed course because when he talked about hiring a DC in December, it was. We're going to run what we run. You got to come in here and run our system. You know, the changes, we're going to put that on the coordinator to pick up what we do, um, opposed to putting on the players to pick up what the new coordinator does. So that was was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, they, they hedged a little bit in the sense of, like, spring practice starts in essentially three weeks. Um, so I don't think Al Golden is going to install a new defense before he learns his own personnel. Um, but I, I would assume that it would dovetail very much with what Marcus ran last year. And maybe this is like a distinction without a difference about if Al Golden's system and Marcus Freeman's is essentially the same, does it really matter whose system it is? No, I was confused by the whole discussion on it. I almost felt like originally that Freeman was just wanted to make it known that Al Golden's in charge of the defense. But it was almost like, it opened up this whole box of like, well, what does yeah, that mean? It, it, it went further than that. The yeah. conversation went further than it that. It did. And that, but then you talk to the defensive assistants and they said, we're in the process of blending. The, the goal here is to blend, to make us an easy transition because as the sentence that's in there, Tim, this is three defensive coordinators in three years. And Marcus Freeman pointed out last year, like, Hey, it's a new system, but I'm going to try to keep your terminology at least. So yeah. the blending, it'll be a good, it'll be good to ask Freeman this at the end of spring. How did the, your vision of what defense Notre Dame is going to unfold <laughs> now that you have been together and had 15 practices. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think they're in, in accordance with three man fronts and four man fronts. I think those, those are used liberally. I think that that will continue. I would just say on the surface, maybe they're a little bit less aggressive up front in, in terms of attacking the quarterback. How do you, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Um, you know, because Freeman is very aggressive. And that, and so, I, I mean, my sense is that it just might be a little less aggressive and more. It's a good question because did they get more comfortable doing it 
when they got involved in Freeman's defense, when they were three months into Freeman's defense, then one month probably, but how much do you change? And cause that's, that's yeah. is, I know that's what cuts guys. Yeah. Lose. Right. And I'm not like, I'm not saying that coming from any level of authority here, we're going to, we're going to have to watch it and see and, and, and see how it is blended together. I would think that, you know, I mean, the complexity of some things, the extent of some things on the NFL level would be greater than college. So there might be, you yeah. might have a different way of blitzing the quarterback. He might have a different way of disguising something on the back end of the defense. I don't know. We're just kind of spitballing here, but I'm not sure that when we watch it, we're going to say, oh, that's a, that's a significant difference. The fact that Al Golden is is Marcus Freeman's defensive coordinator, I think speaks to the fact that they have a lot in common in terms of philosophy and approach. And what, like, if let's swap in Maris Leofow for J.D. Bertrand at the will position, like <clears throat> that, that is a big enough variable that it would, I think it would be hard to, <laughs> hard to compare like what last year was to this year. Cause you have a right. completely different <clears throat> athlete at the, at the most playmaking position in the defense. Yeah. And that athlete, it was the, number two, if not number one guy that caught our eye in August, right? Yeah. I mean, he would he would be the guy. You were like, wow, this is going to look a lot different on third down. No he doubt. was just <clears throat> bouncy. Tim, you've used bouncy before to describe an athlete. That might be the retired on him last August. He was bouncing all over that yeah. field with his length, making making issues for the Notre Dame's offense. Right, and he was, I mean, he was an inconsistent player in 2020, but I, yeah. the, the, the game at North Carolina, where he took away the slant game and really yeah. altered what, what North Carolina wanted to do offensively. That's where you say, and then, and then in accordance with what we saw with him in August, that's where you say, wow, this guy's going to be a real difference maker for them. And we weren't saying like all American Maris Leofau, but 60% of the plays Maris Leofau and 30% of the plays JD Bertrand would have made JD Bertrand a tremendous run stuffer that nobody would have a problem with right now as a reserve, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost the old Bo right. Bauer phenomenon. Well, Bo Bauer looks better than Drew White. What if he had to play as many snaps? Where do you well, we're going. We'll find out. We'll yeah. we'll probably yeah. find out this fall. Question from DS Wag Clone: Why are we? Why are we? I think he means Notre Dame. Why are we relying on Tommy Reese to bring in a stud quarterback when, according to you all, it's a foregone conclusion that he won't even coach said player next year? I mean, it's two different things, right? He's the quarterback's coach. It's got to bring the guys in until he leaves, but we still know he's leaving. He's going to going someday. I mean, he might not go next year. He might, they might be in the playoffs and he might take Notre Dame to the brink of a playoff win and they lose to Alabama at the end. And he's like, I have unfinished business. We are going to win it next year. You never know. I mean, they could, and they bump him up in salary, but he's going to be gone. The, the next quarterback will not finish his college career with Tommy Reese as the head coach after Tyler Buckner. The following quarterback will not. That's true. Who's going to recruit him? What uh, the next coordinator? Should we yeah. contact the guy that's now in Arizona or California? That will LSU? be the, let's I, I let's be, just see. Like, let's give Charlie West Jr. a year in Ole Miss before we promote him to Notre Dame's OC. He <laughs> should walk away now. Just, oh, yeah. I can only imagine how that would be received. I think that yeah. I think that he's a budding star, but I can yeah. only imagine how that would be received. I I get the point of the question. And, and I guess Marcus Freeman still needs to be at the forefront of everything because we are about a 100% certain that he'll be there and be here in 2023 and 24. But oh, I mean, I, this is just, it's a transient, it's a transient game now. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I guess, but yeah, but 
college football is a transient game among among coaches and there isn't anything you can do. You got to you got to dance with your with your coordinator and your quarterback now and recruiting the 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 next great quarterback. And like, hey, if Dante Moore is here, um, that'd be a pretty attractive job to come into, I would think, if you're yeah. an OC quarterbacks coach somewhere else. And it'll still help Tommy Reese get his job at the Rams, or not the Rams, but somebody else. Yeah, definitely not the Rams this year. Is yeah, it not the Rams. to this morning? Next from M. Lindbergh. What did you think of Jack Swarbrick's comments on potential classification of as athletes as employees in Priester's interview? In the past, Nordim has suggested that that world would end the university's time in intercollegiate athletics. But given the potential that happens and the amount of money around the program, do you think the university is rethinking that position? Well, I think Father Jenkins um, had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction at the time of the Frozen Five, which eventually led to vacated wins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, Notre Dame football, Notre Dame, the University of Notre Dame would adjust and continue to play football. I think we can all confidently say that the Notre Dame football is not going to go away just because the student athlete is, is classified as an employee of the university. It'd be a pretty nice inner hall football facility that they would have <laughs> built on campus. Yeah, but they got rid of the, the uh, pads, so they really can't do that now. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have gone to watch those inner hall games when they used to have pads, but now it's flag apparently. The best, the best inner hall facilities in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame could boat. They could boast that. I mean, yeah, it's that. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to be categorized as employees at some point, and you know my feeling on that because I don't like having guys sitting in the mums when games are going on. When you could recruit a better player. Yeah, that leads us to a a, a whole different world. But um, no, I don't think <laughs> Notre Dame football will just have to adjust. Uh, and that was part of the conversation with Swarbrick that if you. If you're a subscriber and you you can you can see those stories on on our website. I mean, he listed he must have listed ten major things that have occurred in a in the midst of a pandemic, from you know the social outcry on campus to name, image, likeness to one time transfer to the transfer issues that Notre Dame has. There are there were ten or twelve things that to expect Notre Dame to have all these things figured out, it's, it's just absolutely impossible. Worlds are colliding and, uh, and you can't, you can't stem the tide. Certainly not one athletic director at one school. Yeah. I thought he was uh, frank with you too, Tim, not to give away the answers, but when you mentioned, when he said, we have to adjust, it's difficult right now to get transfers in because of the different colleges within the university. We have to adjust. We can't be slow. We have to adjust. Like it's it's not a finished product right now. It's going to get better. They're going to get better. And I think Pete indicated you have to learn to get better at getting transfers in. There's just things they have to adjust in the new world. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, that's not. It's not it's, Notre Dame athletic or Notre Dame football's fault per se. No, You're it's dealing not going with against the message of the university to adjust and get transfers. Right. In here. Yeah, I, I thought. I, I thought all things considered, Swarbrick was very transparent. Uh, but that only gets you as far as the next fan that reads it and doesn't like the answer to it. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. transparency is great until you don't like what the transparency tells you. And I would, I will suggest that in part three of my interview with them, there's going to be something that uh, people aren't going to like what he says about it, but it's just, it's just the reality of the situation. So uh, I'll, I'll force you to subscribe to Irish Illustrated to read that on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get offline real fast. This is good. 
<laughs> uh, question from Statman72. Yeah, my subscription, please. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Statman72, permitting interviews with, as if that information isn't going to go out anyway. But yeah, exactly. Uh, Statman72, permitting interviews with the entire coaching staff and all early enroll- enrollees suggests Marcus Freeman is opening things up. Any sense of what other changes might be coming? I mean, I think more more availability of assistance coordinators and players is definitely coming. I don't know how, how practices will be handled because Marcus Freeman might love to uh, get his names and faces out there. It's great marketing for Notre Dame because, as Pete mentioned in a tweet, I think, once again, Notre Dame's best marketer is Notre Dame. Put the players out there. Let them talk because they do a great job. The coaches will, too. But Marcus Freeman might be one of the coaches that doesn't like to share what he's running in practice with other people. So we may have, I don't know what's going to happen in practice. We'll find out when we see our first instance in the spring and maybe not even then. I mean, the spring, they can show you a lot more than they can the fall. Right. I think that we're, my understanding is we'll probably get three or four open practices in spring, which is maybe one more zero to one more than we would be used yeah, to. There just aren't that many. You're right. There aren't, there aren't that so, many. you know, usually we'd get at least two, um, Maybe we'll have three. Um, so that, that'll be a little different. I, but, I mean, the, the early enrollees talking to the media is that is a huge difference from where we were. Um, you know, and, and Kelly loosened up a little bit. We got Tyler Buckner during the season last year. We got Lorenzo Styles during the yeah. season last year. Uh, Joe Alt came in. Um, we got Diggs not, at some point. Was that bowl-related? We got Yeah, Diggs. Diggs came in after a game um, yeah. Yeah. one year, one so I, you know, I give Katie Lonergan a lot of credit for like being able to sort of see th- above the day to day, who's the media relations sort of coordinator for that all for for football. Um, you know, coaches, I coaches should always talk. It's like they're paid professionals talking about their paid profession. <laughs> um, that's, you know, I, I don't want to like overreach that. It was really good to get all ten of them. Um, I hope that that's something that continues during a season where they can occasionally roll them out during the year. But, um, you know, we'll get a little bit more practice access. I think like Marcus Freeman has a way more modern approach to media relations than his predecessor or his, or his predecessor's predecessor. Um, maybe some of that is just that he's 36 years old and grew up with a rival's profile. Um, but he's just got a different approach to all that. Much of what, much of what you said, excuse me, Tim, what, what Pete, you just said, I wanted, I was going to mention Katie's name, Katie Lonergan. Um, and, and she has, I mean, she's allowed this to happen by pushing for, well, and Freeman's allowed it, but she pushed for it and, and allowed us, um, and that allowed us to talk to, to more p- players. My concern, Brandon Joseph, I mean, we never would have gotten Brandon Joseph uh, as, as early as we did. My, I, I don't necessarily think practices, practice access will expand that much more. Right. Because fall, I, right? I yeah, well, I mean, I well, fall, I understand. I mean, you're getting ready yeah. for games. August they should is, close. Is they different. should always close. Every school should close fall game prep practices. That's I would do that. In yeah, no, I I totally agree. Joe Paterno was probably one of the first that did that, and it finally came into play. But I do want to mention, and I met you know, I met Katie. I didn't meet Katie at Notre Dame with everybody else. I met her at Kansas when I went to visit Charlie Weiss when he was still the head coach, and she was there. And uh, so she is accustomed to limited uh, access for football at Kansas. I mean, it was the same stuff that we had to deal with where you'd get right. first four periods and everybody made jokes about stretching and, 
orange cones back in the days of, of, of football, of practice reports on orange cones because they were running around them at the beginning of practice. So I don't know. I mean, maybe more practices. Uh, if it's three or four in the spring, that's great. Uh, that's as much as you could possibly ask for. But I'm not sure that once we get closer to, to the season that it yeah, and, and August think, is really the only time you expect to have any kind of access. I, I think August, uh, the first two weeks of August camp will probably be very accommodating. Um, and then the last two weeks of August camp, it'll be shut down again, right? Like, yeah, no, that, and, that's, so. and it should be. It's total it makes total sense. It's not. It I think be. the biggest change will be access <laughs> to players and coaches Agreed. after practices, after games, during the week. Um, that kind of stuff will be enhanced. FL Irish 76, what is your initial reaction to the playoffs staying at four for at least four more years? Good for Notre Dame or bad for Notre Dame? Uh, well, I mean, it's bad for the masses. It's bad for everybody, I guess, in general. It, it, it prevents further access. But I never expected this to be changed before 2025 because 2025, because that's the contract. And so... Uh, Pete, I think you have a different perspective on expansion. I'm perfectly fine with it. Not that I have a choice as to whether I'm fine with it or not. I mean, because it because it absolutely is going to happen. It's just a question of when, and it's barring a change now. It's not going to happen before 2025. I, I don't know that it makes it better. I, I don't have a definitive opinion one way or another. I think. The four teams has kind of cheapened some of the, you know, the other bowls and the games leading up to it, perhaps. I don't have a I don't have a specific reaction to it. I, I'm bummed. I, I was ready for kind of a new approach to what the playoffs could be, who could make it access, as you mentioned. I thought the idea of a home playoff game would be kind of a cool thing. Um, but it's I mean, it's just a reminder that the sport is sorely sorely lacking any kind of leadership that i mean this isn't an nil question this is do you want to make an extra i don't know what 450 million dollars sooner or not and they couldn't agree to a point where the answer was yes um so that's a, a bit of a drag but i mean for notre dame's point of view they've made the playoff twice and I think what the only teams that have made the playoff twice or, or multiple times are Georgia, Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. So I think from Notre Dame's point of view, it's they're fine. Um, but I think well, it, it's still, the sport at large would have been would yeah, have been. I mean, it's still with four spots as opposed to eight or twelve. It's still limiting. Notre Dame was good enough in 2018, yeah. 2020 to make it, uh, but they they weren't this past year with with one loss. So. You know that they would have they would have made the playoffs had it been expanded. I so. mean, there, there's pros to expansion that I understand. Like you'd be watching more meaningful bowl games because those bowl games become playoff games, and there's more teams to watch. There's cons too. When that Auburn, when Auburn had Alabama beat, and Auburn was about to eliminate Alabama from being in the playoffs, and everybody in America and in Stanford Stadium was staring at that TV, begging Auburn to hold off. Wouldn't matter at all. Alabama would have been seeded fifth or sixth. They would have gotten in. It would definitely take away. I know Pete disagrees with me on this. It would 100% take away from November's elimination games that are fun. I'm, I've always enjoyed the teams getting yep. eliminated when they get eliminated in the regular season. I mean, the 14 playoff is, is clearly not ideal. It doesn't work great. 
you could argue you could have two would be better. And after all the bowls are over and make it, make the bowls part of the play uh, part of the process. It's not going to be perfect. I am glad. Oh, I, I like, I like that idea. I've always yeah, liked that I, it's the best idea I've heard. And there's no perfect idea. I mean, I love the fact that if you can play all the bowls and then say, all right, right then that way you keep that intact, which is important to college football in general. Still not perfect. I mean, it's, you know, I, I at no point did I think that rule would pass though until 2026 when it will on 100% pass. <laughs> it will be, it will be, it will absolutely. Right. Pass. Cause it, I mean, the voting, uh, format in 2026 is like you don't need a unanimous decision at that yeah, point you need a majority decision which is they, they had a majority decision to expand now but they didn't have a unanimous decision yeah rpm go irish could you provide a quick talent breakdown of dante moore and chris Vizzini and why you think each should be a take for notre dame well i think they're both good enough to lead Notre Dame to big things especially dante moore who's a versatile athlete who's a throw first great athlete um i mean i just love the natural way with which he owns the football field that he's on and then in, in vizina i think he's a very good quarterback i think he is an accurate um he's a he's a jack he has jack cones accuracy and is a 180 degree different athlete from Jack Cohn. So you put that, you put that together. I think they're both really good quarterbacks. I think everybody generally looks at Dante Moore's has with a higher upside, but I think Vizina has a ton of upside. Pete Mago first here, Tim, do you get Pete? Do you agree? Vizina's biggest drawback in this comparison is that he's not Dante Moore. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I would put it that or, way, certainly. Would you put it that way? Because, I mean, like other previous quarterbacks, the drawback is there's a gulf between him and Dante Moore, right? It's, I do think Vizina would do a good job, but we're making a comparison, and right now. I don't think it's a gulf. I think there's a separation, but it's not a, it's it used not to be a gulf. A, I'm saying other yes. quarterbacks, there's a gulf yes. as opposed yes. to separation. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. I think that's, yeah, that's fair. I mean, he would <laughs> still be, man, I'm just, like looking at his, player rating on 24 seven sports. Like, I mean, I think he would still be the highest rated quarterback Notre Dame had taken since Dane Christ. Well, Viz- was- I'm talking about Vizina. Vizina. Right. Yeah. Wimbush was what? 44. Maybe. Yeah. It might overall. be, might be Wimbush. I'm just sort of looking at their player rating. Um, you know, so the, their player rating, which I, is not coming up for me at the moment, but um, yeah, it's, that would be, it would be a massive get. Um yeah, Wim, Wimbush was higher. I completely spacing out Gunnar Keel. I'm not sure how I could have could have forgotten about him, but um, he shouldn't I mean, have been a five star though. I, it's it would have been he's higher than Buckner, and then you would have to go to Wimbush, and then you would go to Keel, and that's it. Um, then you're back to Dane Christ. So if you if you told me, hey, Notre Dame signed one of the top five quarterbacks they've signed in terms of their player rating in the sort of rivals era, and it's and it's Fazina. I think you'd be like, awesome. But yeah. yeah, O'Malley's point is is good. You're like, well, what about Dante Moore? Yeah. Dante Moore would be even higher. Up I, you know, I really love the way the ball comes off Vizina's hand. It, it, he he can, as, they, as the cliche is, he can really spin it. I like him. But Moore is just a, a little bit more of everything. Right. Right. <laughs> and that He's, is, that's what happens when the playoffs start. Someone's a little bit more of everything. And right. Really right. Good. Yeah, right. And yet Stetson Bennett won a national right. title and he had a defense, of, of course, that was absolute killer. Question from B.L. Casper. 
and this is the key phrase right out of the shoot here, guys. If you could pick one upperclassman on both sides of the ball to make a big jump and become a quality contributor in the fall of 2022, who would it be? Not who you think it will be. If you could pick, which I think is an interesting oh, way of looking at it. I did not read it that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I didn't read it that way. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Because I'm not, you know, it's a little difficult to say, okay, this guy is going to emerge as, there aren't a lot of guys that jump out at you like that, especially no. on a veteran football team. But I have one. I think uh, the 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 original way I read it. It's much it's much better question the way you read it, Tim. Let's go the original way fast, just to buy some time. All right, well, go ahead. <laughs> I, I really think, although Chris Tyree lacks the wiggle and everything that can make you a special back, and we have pointed this out a lot, I think we sometimes overlook what a healthy Chris Tyree can do when you're dumping the ball off to him in space and when he does hit the crease. And I think Chris Tyree can score 11 touchdowns next year. You know, I just feel like Diggs is anointed because he's a much cooler to watch runner than Chris Tyree because he does have that natural running back instinct we all kind of like. Tyree was not healthy this year. When he was healthy, his line stunk. And Logan Diggs would have had 50 more stuffs if he ran behind the line games one through five that he ran behind games seven or six through 13. So I have Tyree as a guy I think will. If I could pick one, still pick Tyree. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would pick Leofau because I think if he's as good as, I think Leofau would be great. To, if Leofau's great to break out, that'd be awesome. What about on offense? Who would you pick? Because I, I would agree with Tyree, but I have somebody else in mind that I would pick. I would go. Um, my guy, my guy. I would go Lindsey on offense, and then I would go uh, Clarence Lewis on defense. <laughs> Those are the two that I would pick as well. I, 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 Lindsey can break out, but just be good though. But if Lindsey, I guess if Lindsey, no, if you could pick, support. if you could pick, yeah, I would pick Lindsey. Yeah, that'd be great. And if you could pick defensively, I would pick Lewis definitely. Now he would have to take a significant jump sure. from where the season ended on him. Who would you? Who would your two picks be, Tim? You'd pick Tyree on offense? Yeah, because I think, I mean, if Tyree is great, then Notre Dame will be in business again. And, uh, well, now that you've said Lewis, I can't not pick Lewis because it's clearly <laughs> the right call. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's definitely the right call. It, it would change It would change the defense, I think. All right, well, I'm going to jump ahead to the last question here because it kind of ties in from Elm City Domer. With coaching changes come opportunities for players. Who are your offensive and defensive breakout candidates to – to be impact players with the new coaching and scheme adjustments. So this would be more of a prediction and it's right. not uh, just upperclassmen. It's any of the players. Yeah. I mean, Leo Fow is, you have to pick him on defense. Um, and then offensively, you could have kind of a debate there. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep riding with Lorenzo styles. I know yeah. he had a, Okay. Amazing bowl game, but um, since I'm pretty gonna be a top 10 receiver at Notre Dame all time, I think I still have to <laughs> we have to have a little more breaking out to come here. You stepped out <laughs> on that man, and it, it's it's looking pretty good. It's first reaction, it's looking pretty yeah. good. Uh, I mean, Leah Fowl's my choice as well, but I'll go Riley Mills because I think he can come into his own now, especially when used in a way they can. I, I just like him at strong side defensive end part of the time. Now I think we've seen it on tape in Virginia. I mean, I think Marcus Freeman would have, if Marcus Freeman stayed the head, the defensive coordinator, I think he would have gone that route too. It's not like an Al Golden thing. I, I think Riley Mills would be. The no, I think it's, it's well. more, it's out of necessity. Um, yeah. You know, I kind of looked at this question 
because it was asked because what was asked was new coaching and scheme adjustments. I, you know, I would like to think that Chancey Stuckey is going to bring out the best in Deion Colsey. They need him to do that. They need him to do it with Lindsay as well. Uh, what impact will Al Golden have on a, a Jordan Botello as a, as an edge guy, as a, you know, as an outside linebacker, he'll also probably come on under the uh, teaching of L Washington as well. Um, what about Prince Collie? Collie as well. I know that the new thing now is Snead, but, but Prince Collie is the guy that's been in the program for a year, probably playing a different position. We'll see. Uh, the two would be playing a different position. What will Harry Heastan do for Rocco Spindler? Right. You know, I mean, that, that, that could be significant. What will Dela McCullough do for Chris Tyree? That could be very significant. I think, I think Ramon Henderson, because of his skill set, is a guy that is going to emerge at, at safety with, with Brandon Joseph. You still have the holdovers, but I think Henderson offers a higher ceiling than a DJ Brown and certainly a Houston Griffith. I am right now realistically looking at this wide receiver scholarship chart we have on irishillustrated.com. And if you two aren't right in Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey, there's a problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, I I wouldn't pick Styles because I think he's just absolutely <laughs> trending in that direction. You guys understand how bad it is that when I look at senior and junior, the columns are empty. It's not good. It's not good, and that's why we're talking about Chancey Stuckey, the wide receivers yeah. coach at Notre Dame. That's unreal. Yeah, it's the visual makes it worse than like in reality. It looks worse on paper than it is in reality. <laughs> it actually, looks worse on that paper. That is dead on. You know, and then you, I mean, it, it would it would be great if a Joe Wilkins Jr. really, and we're like, we're taking Avery. I, I'm taking Avery Davis for granted that he will be recovered from that and he will just pick up where he left off because that's where he was trending. Uh, can a Joe Wilkins really help you? Um, and he was trending pretty, he was doing well too. Joe Wilkins was for a team that had no time to throw to receiver, he made one of the top in his five games, he made one of the five best catches of the year. Yeah. And five most important catches of the year. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. All right, jumping back here, Tim. Uh, CMU Pens fan Tyler Buckner is under the most pressure as a Notre Dame football player since whom? That's got to be the position. Um, yeah, it's hard, not, it's hard not to be every quarterback that has come before him. Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah I would say Brandon Wimbush in September of 2018 when he realized that his grasp on the starting yeah. spot was slipping away. Ian Book in November of 2019 when he shushed the crowd going to that game, he was probably under a little bit of pressure of some type. Uh, Ian Book at Wake Forest in 2018. Yeah. Like, that was no joke. Um, you know, just because just he played well doesn't mean that he wasn't under pressure. Yeah. I mean, apparently, uh, yeah, I, uh, has a backup that can play. Any, any quarterback who started for Notre Dame in the college football playoff was also under intense pressure, but that was more like a physical pressure because people were chasing him down. I know what he's saying, though. He means Buckner is so important to, like, the future, the next couple of years of Notre Dame football. There's, he's got to be the guy that hits, right? That's the question is this guy has to hit. Yeah, but he doesn't need to hit, like, in game one. You know, or, or game six, like they just gotta, he's gotta get better and through the course of the year and be you like, okay, at the end of the year, you feel good about it. Yeah, just wonder, all you have to do is be clumsy. I mean, we can talk about, we can talk about pressure, but I wonder what was going through Clarence Lewis's mind as Tay Martin was starting to heat up against Oklahoma State. That's Maybe not it was going through my mind. Where's the help? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, pressure comes in different forms at different times at different positions, but. Uh, anyway. That is my okay. lasting bother from that game. But they did not find a way to help Clarence Lewis. There aren't many that's times everyone knows something. I think that's, I think that's fair since yeah. nobody else was really killing you at that time. That was one of my favorite Al Golden quotes was just like, you can't wait for halftime adjustments. You got you to have solutions series by that series. Was, I'm like, God, man, this really would have come in. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Monday musings number six. Thanks. Yeah. That's awesome. That's I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up though. That, that was, a, I thought golden said a lot of great things and that. Yeah. That was definitely one of them that you can't. And, and again, that's where his experience on the professional level and, and those that brought up, well, he hasn't been a coordinator. You don't, you don't lose that knowledge. In fact, he gained it because he was game planning the defense, whether he was coordinator of the Bengals or not. I still can't believe how much the random fan and reporter knows about every assistant coach and position coach in college and pro, because it is just vastly superior to my knowledge of all these guys. They know so much about these guys <clears throat> and what makes them good and why they're bad. Well, the, con the concept that every coach you're going to hire has never experienced failure as a coach is, it's just, it's just, it's ridiculous. That's just absolutely ridiculous. You should see the takes of Miami fans on Al Golden on Twitter. They are so far off base from anything you've ever seen, like from Notre Dame fans, where you get mad that someone said, let's talk about Tommy Reese or Marcus Freeman or something like that after a game. I've never seen anything like it. They, they like, think Al like, Golden is the single worst potential coach that could ever go to Notre Dame, and he's going to ruin the football program because they had a bad defense. <laughs> you understand time and circumstance? And I'll say your program's dead. No offense. I also like that was one thing I wish that we, I had a chance to ask Golden about. Is like what what did you get out of Miami? The Miami experience? Yeah, you know, because me, it was a failure. Yeah, like, me as well, Pete. I because we had a chance to go one on one with them, and again, but. We're, you know, we were hopping around from tables and it made yeah. it really, really difficult to hit everything. Yeah, I think it would just it would be an interesting conversation to have with him like in the summer. Um, because I, I would imagine there's he probably learned a lot that has made him a better made him better coming back to college <laughs> than maybe he was when he went to Miami. I don't know. Uh, I just think it would be an interesting conversation to have with him. All right, I'll I'll race you to uh securing that interview because <laughs> yeah. we're going to go down that same road with that. All right. We're going to wrap up with a question from a front or I'm sorry, Irish from a two. And it's a little bit off topic, but it's pertinent. If uh, we all saw this from yesterday thoughts on Juwan Howard's situation after Michigan's game with Wisconsin yesterday, I guess I should have asked you guys if you saw that. Yeah, we, uh, <laughs> this is kind of like to not living under a rock. I saw yeah, it. Okay. Okay. Is no we have a pandemic? Yeah, no, we we uh we saw that one. <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was a pretty heated conversation between him and Greg Gard after uh Wisconsin beat them by 14, I believe it was, and apparently Gard had called a late timeout. Yes. And it was it was uh, it was a strategical thing because he has backups in. This is what he said anyway. Literally everything went wrong. But the worst part of all was Jawan Howard took a swing at someone. Like Greg Gard absolutely should not have touched Juwan Howard, an agitated coach who says something to you brushly going by you and clearly is angry. You don't grab his arm. However, yeah. all of that had kind of been stymied. They had been separated and words were still exchanging and Juwan Howard still took a mush swing at someone else. It's the worst part of it. 
the assistant coaches on Wisconsin should be ashamed of themselves for their posturing. Did you see some of the tweets, some of the pictures yeah. of them? The, yeah. the suck it yes. gesture yeah. was quite I mean, something. Uh, and like, uh, first of all, plenty of players wanted to fight. You could tell a lot of guys wanted to fight. And those that didn't want to fight were instigating it too by mouthing off beyond belief. What, what you think you're going to get in someone's face after you beat it by 14, your coaches are fighting and they're not going to take a swing at you. Like there's so much abhorrent non-sportsmanlike behavior in this, but Roberts was just by far the worst. I mean, yeah. But you can't look. I mean, yeah. I know. There's a Wisconsin fan mad at me right now. I'm sure there is. It's about to listen to this. Not now, because this is not live. But there's a Wisconsin fan mad. You cannot grab an agitated coach walking by and stop him like he's an eighth grader in the hallway that mouthed off to you. Yeah, Something's my, going to happen. You have to know what's going to happen. My first reaction to it, because I somebody, who, who was it? Somebody texted me and said, uh, did you see what happened at the end of the game? I said, no. And I was working on... I was working. And so I didn't get back till it until last night. And it's my first reaction was totally the fault of the two head coaches, totally right. the fault of the two head coaches and the assistants for not being peacemakers. But it, but it's, but it started, it emanated from the two head right. coaches who reacted the way for sure. they did. Sure. Now I don't want to immediately people jump on and say, Howard should be fired. Just mind your own. It, it's, Michigan will decide what should happen with Jawan Howard. We live in a world now where we want to fire everybody. Right. Right. And I, and I, it, that just annoys the hell out of me. I understand the reaction to it, but stop making hiring and firing decisions for somebody else. It's not your call. I don't think that Jawan Howard should be fired because of that one moment but there should be some serious discipline going yeah, on. Because I, I don't that, know the exact, what the exact discipline should be. There's got to be, I mean, is it the rest of the regular season? Cause it's a convenient five games and he's not going to coach the NIT anyway. I mean, there's a lot of weird things to look at here. It, it, I can't believe how badly it escalated. You know, that if you listen to the original broadcast of it, he wasn't going to go on the line. Howard, you can hear the game announcers say, Joan Howard is not participating in the handshake line. Oh, there he goes. You just imagine if he just sat there the whole well, time. And everybody be mad. Oh, Jawan Howard didn't shake hands. All right, well, right. <laughs> he didn't shake hands. <laughs> Was it Vitel? Did Vitel tweet? Multiple Vitel people. tweets. First of all, Vitel tweets like five minutes before he's wheeled into surgery, which is just blows my mind. But I think he put out a tweet yesterday about, well, there shouldn't be. And if I'm wrong about that, I apologize. You're, you're somebody correct. else. He's not alone. A lot of okay people. about the, the there shouldn't be a line for handshakes. That's fine. Change it. Then change it. But don't bring it up. Now, after it just happened, because the two coaches, the two head coaches allowed it to escalate. It was it was totally on them to prevent that from happening. And they didn't do that. I would say a couple of things. One, if you can't shake someone's hand, you shouldn't play college athletics. Like, sorry, you have to have that level of self-control. You should be able to shake someone's I, hand yes, the I same way you that. did in high school, the same way you did in middle school, the same way you did in grade school. Also, you and I, you three of us, four of us, Jack, I'll include you here. We probably look, I don't know, we're similar builds to Greg Gard. What would it take for each of us to physically stop Jawan Howard? Like, <laughs> what What were you thinking was going to happen there? Like, I just, I, that was, that was baffling to me. I, I agree what you guys have said about Jawan Howard. That is, that is by far the worst of it. Um, I don't, but there, it's like, everyone's debating what's a punch what's a mush what's a shove 
Who started no, it? He didn't I don't want know. To, There's a lot of responsibility to be shared around, but Juwan Howard bears the most. He credit. didn't he he decided that he didn't want a, a fist to make contact. Yeah, he, right. I mean, I'm sure Jawan Howard could have could have kicked yeah. his ass. How about that you know? reach, by the way? I mean, he went over That's, like three guys to make contact. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I do kind of want to know what he, what was said because that made that was I mean, although you're my buddy pointed this out. <laughs> you're that hot. All you need to hear is an assistant coach say anything to you. He can just be no, like, no doubt. take no your doubt. ass back to the locker room. And all of a sudden it's who the hell are you? <laughs> and right. he is jumping right. on that guy. So and I'm sure that I'm sure that he would have had no problem with a fist making contact, but he probably realized as the swing began, that it would be best if he opened his hand to do it. I don't think he was being a candy ass about it. I just think that that was his decision to, to not, let it escalate further, but it was too late at that point. Of course. I so. did like the NIT chant though. That was fun. Oh, I didn't hear that. All right. We have spent way too much time talking about something other than uh, Notre Dame sports here, but that's, I thought we would, uh, we'd go ahead and ra- wrap up with that one. We, as always, we appreciate you joining us for our podcast. And I would imagine when spring starts, we might be doing this a little bit more frequently, but for now, Our next podcast will be Monday on February 28th. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider.